Hello and welcome to Besco's Eco Show. My name is Kayla Enti and Lucy Kimberly is here as well today. We are going to talk about a, a number of topics. What's on the agenda for today, Lucy? Well, we're really talking about harnessing solar power. Um, recently, we've seen quite a few articles about how solar power this summer is contributing to the um, energy generation, um, electricity generation in particular in the UK, and also looking at Germany and um, how they're the leaders in this area and how much um, electricity generation from solar we've seen there as well. Yeah, it's a very exciting time. We've had great sunshine the last couple of weeks, and that means that solar power is being optimized during this period, which is fantastic. It's happening all across the country. Um, so welcome. We're really privileged to be broadcasting here from Radio Free Brighton at the End of the Bridge studio. So uh, let's get started. Let's talk solar. Okay, so... Um the Independent, Greenpeace, Energy Desk, Eddie Energy and The Guardian, that's so many different um, media streams, have all reported that the sunny weather during June boosted solar power generation, providing an estimated 7.8% of the UK's electricity in daylight hours of solstice. Now, solstice is the um, time in June where we have the longest day of the year, so we're looking about two weeks ago. Um, it says that um, compared to last year, we have generated 4.7 gigawatts. Last July, it was 2.7 gigawatts. How much is that, Kayla? How gig, two, uh, 4.7 gigawatts. Now, to me, that doesn't sound like a huge number. But what oh, does no. it mean? That's absolutely amazing. Uh, if you think that a nuclear power station is 2 gigawatts, so we're talking about enough, enough electricity or the same amount of electricity that's generated by two nuclear power stations. So that is fantastic news that we've almost doubled the amount of solar generation uh, to, uh, in the last year. That is phenomenal. So solar power as well. Um, where will this be coming from? Will it be household installations or installations from businesses or a mixture of both? Yeah, it's probably uh, because in Cornwall they did, they installed quite a few solar farms before they changed the feed-in tariff. There are quite a few larger solar farms across the country. It will be including, though, households as well, because when you looked at the feed-in tariff and where most of the money from the feed-in tariff was going, 98% of the feed-in tariff went for households, uh, rooftop systems. So there is a huge amount of solar that has gone up on in individual residences. These are usually about four kilowatt systems, which generate enough electricity to run your entire household, about 4,000 kilowatt hours of electricity on a system like that, which means that it, every little bit helps. I think that's the important message that just putting solar on your roof can make a huge contribution to the total renewable energy supply in our country. And what kind of systems can you have put on your home? I know that I've seen different types across homes as I, as I pass through the countryside, and particularly on the train, I like to look out for what houses have got mounted on their roofs. Yeah, uh, after you get involved in this industry, you start to become a solar roof geek and looking at everybody's roof and seeing what the potential is. Uh, 
the two kinds of systems that you're going to see are the solar electricity and the solar thermal heating system uh, on the roofs. And the solar thermal heating will either be a flat plate collector or an evacuated tube collector. And the jury's out on which type of solar thermal system is the best. A lot of installers prefer the flat plate because they think that the gain and efficiency from the evacuated tube creates some problems in the summertime when there's a lot of excess heat that may not necessarily get used and so that if you don't have sufficient storage uh, for that heat then it will either get lost or it could cause problems with the system. So I've seen the tubes and I've not really known what the difference is before now. So the tubes are for water, whereas often the flat plates will be solar electricity panels, although you can get flat plate solar thermal as well. But if you see the tubes there, they're most definitely solar thermal for, for heating your water. How much do you need on a household? So you said for a solar panels, you only need um, for the... the the, you can get away with not having too much for your household. How much for a solar thermal panel? Because sometimes you only see one panel. Is that enough for all your hot water needs? Yeah, it would be. So if you had one evacuated tube collector, that, that should be enough for your home. They, they all run on um, glycol systems. So the glycol retains the heat, and then it heats the water in the cylinder, which goes uh, through the system. So there is water in both a flat plate and an evacuated tube system. The only, the difference that you'll see between the flat plate and the uh, solar PV, the photovoltaic, is the photovoltaic has those wafers, those silicon wafers. So you, you might have, uh, I don't know, uh, 50 wafers in a 250-watt uh, solar panel. And so you'll be able to see all of those that are collecting the electricity. So they look like the little squares. So if you see a panel that's made up of the smaller squares, that's a solar PV panel. We've done a blog about this recently, and uh, which I wrote discussing um, some of the benefits and also the myths around solar panels. Because some people do say to me, oh, actually, I don't want solar panels because it might um, affect the getting home insurance for example, I just thought if we could go through a couple of these uh, myths and tell people what's true and what's false. So um, if this is one myth that I know, um, solar panels don't work when it's cloudy. Is that true or false? Solar panels work on direct and indirect sunlight. So what happens on a cloudy day is that sunlight becomes diffused However, it's still light and it's still picked up by the solar panel. The impact, uh, the, the natural impact that is most prolific on solar panels is the azimuth, which is the angle of the sun in relation to the earth. So in the summer, the sun is much higher in the sky. And when you have, that's why the angle of the solar panels is, is so important. Uh, you have to have it at a, a good angle to be able to pick up the sunshine when it's practically on the horizon in the winter months of January and December and parts of February. And then you also want to be able to pick it up as it rises in connection with the 
its um, relation to the earth. So that's why in the summertime, the solar panels are opti optimized and the electricity is optimized. You can get a lot more electricity out of it in the, in the summer, even on a, a cloudy day. So in essence, yes, they, um, solar panels will work despite when it's cloudy, but they will obviously produce more electricity when we've got direct sunlight and it's less cloudy. Yeah, and it depends on the type of solar panel as well because the different technologies have different efficiency ratings. And, because, and they're also warranted for a different period of time. So that's one of the benefits of working with BESCO is that we can help you optimize your system to ensure that you're generating the most electricity possible since they're warranted for 20 years and they work for 25 years and more than that. You really want to make sure that you're optimizing the amount of electricity produced. So you can think short term and say, okay, this uh, module is much cheaper than the other one. However, if the other one is generating much more electricity over its useful life, that panel is going to be worth a lot more money. So the value today uh, reflects, uh, doesn't necessarily reflect the future value of that system. That's a really important point about PV. Yeah, their longevity and that they will, you need to think past the current investment and how it's going to be investment in the long term. Yeah. So that brings us to an interesting point that's probably related to it. Um, I won't be able to insure my house with solar panels on the roof. Surely that's not the case if it's um, something that's installing and creating a long-term financial plan. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the funny bit, uh, and I'm not sure if this is media hype or... Uh, and we all know how estate agents control the market. It's really about understanding the fact that you're putting an energy, an electricity or a heat generator on your roof. And that value is the future value of all of that energy that's going to be generated. And if you think about it, electricity prices are increasing at 8 to 10% every year. So if you put a solar panel on your roof today, the electricity that you generated is going to increase in value every year by 8 to 10%. And that's virtually, I, I can't possibly say it's guaranteed. However, there is a really good chance that that is going to continue to happen just because of what we understand about the fossil fuel market and what's going on with uh, fossil fuels and the fact that it's a limited resource. So think about it. You've got this energy generator that has a value today of all the future electricity that's generated over the next 25 years with an increase in price that's higher than the uh, retail price index or, um, yeah, price increases. Excellent. So that seems like a pretty good uh, reason to have them installed. But then... If you've decided, yep, I can see the financial sense and I want to generate my um, own electricity or um, heat my own water, will it cause damage to my home? Because that's something that I might consider. Um, they look pretty big and they have to be um, um, fixed on quite securely to the roof. No one wants anything uh, blowing off. Will they actually cause damage to your home? 
Well, you need to make sure that you get the installation done by an experienced installer. And it was really interesting when the feed-in tariff first came out in 2010, there were a series, the, the number of qualified installers increased from 360, the ones who were registered, uh, registered with the government's uh, microgeneration scheme system, 360 to 3,600. So think about the level of experience that was in the market during that time. So we saw a lot of very funny looking systems being installed across the country. Today it's different because we had such a decrease in the amount of feed-in tariff since that time that the companies that have really survived and thrived during the period when the feed-in tariff was decreasing are the ones who were delivering the best quality. And so that's what we're seeing in the market today, that the installers who are there really know what they're talking about. They, they know about their mounting systems that can be accommodated to the type of roof. And also they would recommend that you would get a structural survey in case your roof is not strong enough to hold those panels. If you think about it, each panel probably weighs about 16 kilograms and you're having, um, sorry, kilos. Kilograms is a bit small, 16 kilos each. And if you're getting 10 on your roof, then you've got 160 kilos all of a sudden that is has to be uh, held on, on your roof. So I think the moral of the story there is just make sure that you've got a rep reputable installer and that they know what they're doing and you can always um, ask them for previous work, um, ask for recommendations, look online, do any of the background checks that you might do with a electrician or a plumber or any other tradesman you might have coming to your home. So we've talked about roof mounted, more and more we're seeing around the country um, solar farms. So this might be solar panels that are actually um, on, on ground level, particularly in fields. And we, I have seen some um, articles in the press saying they're a bad idea. And what do you think about that? And what's the benefit of having them on um, ground level other than roof mounted? Yeah, I think it's a very personal uh, position that people take on this and everyone's entitled to their own opinion. There are pros and cons of the uh, ground mounted systems. I've heard people say that they actually promote wildlife because uh, wildflowers grow underneath the panels and it can be a real production point for uh, bees and it could uh, be a way of helping revive our bee population in the UK. So that's one of the advantages. The, the disadvantage is that you might be using land that you could grow food on, for example, to generate energy. And I'm not a fan of that, if I'm totally honest. I think that we should only be using brownfield sites for uh, setting it up the ground-mounted systems because as time goes on, we really need to be generating more and more of our own food production in the UK. And this is really important point. And we don't want to be holding up that land for 25 years with uh, a solar array. I think that there is enough rooftop space to generate sufficient amounts of solar for our economy and for our um, 
energy needs. Certainly in Brighton, it's been found, a uh, study was done by ECOM, which is an international consultancy group that said that we have about 80 megawatts worth of solar rooftop potential just in Brighton and Hove. Now, 80 megawatts, that should be enough. I have to think about how many homes um, that would be able to generate. I think that it's close to being able to generate maybe about 25% of our own um, electricity consumption. So that's a huge proportion of Brighton and Hove who could benefit from that. Yeah. And if I, again, I spend my time sitting on trains looking at roof space. And if you look at across Brighton and Hove, particularly if you come in on the train, um, you can see down into the dip of Brighton, there's lots of roofs that I think, oh, that would be great for, for roof-mounted solar. I think um, it has been said that uh, ground-mounted solar can go in grazing and that sheep are particularly very happy to move amongst the solar panels. So in some ways it, it can be beneficial as well. Um, I think ground-mounted solar as well is, is seen as a bit of an, an eyesore. And again, that's a personal opinion, as with wind farms, whether it's actually an eyesore or not. I personally don't mind it, but then I think the countryside will change over time. We've seen the countryside change over hundreds of years, and perhaps coming into the um, the next 100, 200 years, the, the, the landscape is going to change again, and this is what we will see. We will see more ground-mounted solar, we will see more renewable energy, and that's just something that people maybe have to get used to. Yeah, uh, when we started the show, we talked about solar generation uh, and what it's doing in the UK and in Germany. And if you consider that in the month of June, Germany generated 50% of their electricity consumption by solar, you think about what a fantastic impact it can have on the country's energy supply, providing a clean energy supply. It becomes extremely interesting. And what I've found when I'm talking to people, to families, young people really get it. Young people understand right away the importance of solar and renewable energy. I think, uh, unfortunately, it's the older generations who are used to a fossil fuel economy who are less flexible and less understanding about exactly your point, Lucy, exactly this idea of the changing landscape the, the changing landscape of energy, and it will change. It is going to happen. It's just a matter of time. So why do you think it is that Germany seems to be so um, hot on this? Every time we look online, there's always seems to be good news stories coming out of Germany, and their climate's not too dissimilar from ours. Um, they might get a little less rain, but in terms of, of heat and their summertime averages, they don't actually have that much better. It's very comparable climate to the UK. Why do you think it is that they seem to be striving ahead in this area? I, I think they're actually on a, uh, the same large, uh, latitude as, as the UK and Germany. So, as I was saying earlier, their azimuth and relationship with the sun would be very similar to ours. They just had a program in the 90s, I think it was introduced in 1997, where they were giving a feed-in tariff of, uh, at the time I believe it was 99 um, cents for each kilowatt hour that was generated from solar. 
And that really kick-started the installation of solar around the country. And now they're seeing all the benefits of what they did in the past, even though they've reduced their feed-in tariffs significantly since that time. There was a huge surge in the amount of solar installation, and now they're benefiting not only economically, but their energy security is much better state than what we have here in the UK. So that's actually not too dissimilar to the position that the UK has gone through with a feed-in tariff that was high, which um, caused lots of people to invest in solar panels and these companies you just send lots of installers to pop up. Um, and now the feeding tariff has actually reduced. We're seeing not as many going forward, but still that understanding of people actually saying, yes, solar's for us and it's a good use of of our roof space or our ground space and we're going to generate solar so um germany seems to have just been able to push it keep it going push on forward whereas at the moment we seem to be dwindling and people aren't seeing the economic benefit um because the reduced feeding tariff yeah i think they benefited because they did it in the 90s in the late 90s where the economic landscape was very different we did it in 2010 where, you know, we had just been through, we were probably still in a recession, in an economic crisis. And so that that landscape was very different. And if you think about the impact that it had in the UK, 2% of our energy supply was in generated by renewables in 2010, when they started the feed-in tariff. And then just two years later, it jumped up to 7%. So think about what an enormous impact that feed-in tariff had on the renewable generation in our country. And uh, there's a lot of media hype also about the level of subsidy that happens from the government for renewables. However, the government subsidizes fossil fuel. They subsidize nuclear. They... Uh, It's a decision about do we want to subsidize clean energy that's going to last for a long time and help us meet our carbon reduction targets and to improve our energy security and not have a legacy of dirty energy like we have with nuclear. Absolutely. So now you might have listened to us going on about solar panels and all their benefits you might be thinking, actually, how can I go ahead and um, install some? And we're here to help. Um, Kelly, do you want to explain how BESCO might be able to help um, SMEs or homeowners introduce a renewable technology to their home? Yeah, so we introduced a pay-as-you-save model. So you don't pay anything, no upfront cost. The model is designed that you pay a discount on the energy generated. So you save right away from the system that BESCO installs for you. Right now, we're working with SMEs to lower their operating costs, so the costs of powering their businesses. And over time, we will be introducing um, a household version of that model. We're not doing it right now because we don't have the resources. We're just a small community cooperative founded a couple of years ago and we're just growing slowly we're available for phone consultation if you want to call us and get some information you're welcome to to give us a call our number is in brighton 737 080 
You can look us up on the internet at bhesco.co.uk. And we're also tweeting and uh, we're on Facebook. So we're going to be offering a membership program fairly soon so you can become a member of BESCO, a member of our cooperative, which is going to have various benefits. And you can be part of our community energy movement. Excellent. So let's hope that some of you out there are thinking, yep, I'd like to be a member and yep, let's get some solar panels up. But um, what is important to say is that we also support and um, at the moment primarily support helping people make their businesses or homes more energy efficient. And it's not just renewable energy. So if you are thinking, (coughs) excuse me, actually, renewable energy is not for me, um, but I would like to make my home more energy efficient and reduce my energy consumption. We can certainly help you with that. And we won't go over that because we seem to talk about that every radio show, but Take a listen to some of our previous ones and you'll be able to find out how we can help you and get in touch with us as, um, on the um, streams that Kayla just said. And we'll definitely talk you through how we can help you and give you some advice. Yeah, so thanks for listening today. It's the Besco Radio Show. Thanks for coming in today, Lucy. And uh, that was Lucy Kimberly. And my name is Kayla Enti. And we'll be back next week. So listen in to us uh, next week and we'll see you then. Bye.